Hello, and thank you for joining us today for Frost and Sullivan's latest webinar from our Intelligent Mobility Practice. Today's event is titled, The Advent of Flying Cars and the Road Ahead. My name is Anna, and I oversee Frost and Sullivan's Growth, Innovation, and Leadership Briefings. Before we begin today's event, I'd like to go over a few quick notes. This presentation will be available immediately on demand, and you can view it at the conclusion of the webinar. We encourage you to ask questions throughout the presentation, and you can do that by clicking on the Ask a Question button. You can also safely share this uh, briefing at any time by clicking on the Share button. On today's presentation, we will have some detailed slides, so there's a full screen feature available to you at the bottom right-hand corner of the screen. Our presenters today are Benny Daniel, Vice President, and also uh, from Frost and Sullivan, uh, Joe Praveen, Industry Analyst with our Mobility Group. And joining us today are a few guest speakers. We have Robert uh, Digamais from uh, Pauly International BV. He is a CEO. And joining us as well is um, Mike Smith, Chairman and Co-Founder with the NAMSRAC. Neocraft. With that, I would now like to hand the presentation over to Benny. Please begin. Thank you so much, Anna, and a very good day to everybody. Uh, as you might have heard, you know we've got an exciting panel uh, to present their views, vision that is complementary to what Frost and Sullivan believes is going to be the future of the flying car market. So, without any further ado, uh, let's get started. Quite an interesting picture, isn't it? You know, if you look at the flying car market, in the eyes of many, this is nothing but a reality that's limited to either sci-fi movies or, or some kind of fiction. You know, whether it was Back to the Future or the Jetsons, the concepts have always caught the imaginations of many people, but not the belief and the investment that it was required to take this forward. But that is true only till this point of time. You know, from the last time Frost and Sullivan made its presentation on flying cars at its uh, flagship Intelligent Mobility event in London, interesting things have happened. Volvo has completed its acquisition of Terrifugia. Mercedes has announced a 38 million investment as a part of a bigger consortium into the German-based V2L maker uh, Volocopter. Now, those are just some, some examples, but if you take it wider, there are at least a dozen VTOL, or what we call as vertical takeoff and landing vehicles, that are currently in development by companies, and it's backed you know, by, by people as diverse as Toyota, Uber, Airbus, and even Naval Aerospace. Just to throw some numbers on this, as much as $310 million has been invested by venture capital ecosystems, typically venture companies like Atomico, corporates like Daimler, or even noble uh, angels like Larry Page. So that's the mindset that we need to have as we go into this presentation. As soon as you replace this word flying cars with words that equate to mobility, like third-dimensional transportation, then the market that we talk about today is no more a dream. It will be an intrinsic part of the market, and it will cater to mechanisms such as delivery, emergency operations, and it will disrupt nothing less than the entire mobility industry. So it's imperative to understand what drives this market. And if you go to the next slide, some insights about this uh, can be seen. Now, what drives, as you can see, with many mobility patterns is the megatrends of urbanization, which adds not just to existing emission concerns, but also the fact that it's getting congested and therefore having additional annual travel time. This is what a a mobility like flying cars could provide. It could take transportation pressure off cities, and it even allows people to live in vast distances from where they work. Interestingly, if you see what HERE is doing, of course, the leader in mapping the two-dimensional terrain, they're now partnering with company DGI to enable pilots to map pinpoint locations both online and offline. So you have to understand is as congestion picks up, you can see Innovative companies approach any one of these two strategies. Uh, how do you attack congestion? You either go underground, like what a Tesla is trying to do, or you go over it, which is what this whole space is about, 
and our panelists today, uh, which represents PALB and Neoxcraft, you know, will give their views about why this market is likely to win over the other. If you go to the next slide, very interesting, you will see over here is, is I'm sorry, let's go to the next slide. There we are. So, like I mentioned to you, if you start equating this industry uh, with new mobility patterns and existing business models like car sharing, ride sharing, or even robotaxis, uh, robo etc., this is likely to converge and embrace into 3D taxi kind of concepts that will help both consumers as well as business entities exploit never before unutilized airspace and land locations for urban mobility. So there are existing solutions today, right? For example, I could solve this, like helicopters. However, they've been around for a long time, and if they were to become mainstream and the main mode of urban air mobility, this would have happened a long time ago. So there are challenges such as loud noise, high cost, low fuel economy, and high emissions that make helicopters today unsuitable for urban mobility. So to make this market viable, uh, and to make sense of the huge number of concepts that is coming out into the market, it is important to categorize, like any industry, you need to categorize the flying car market as well. And we fundamentally divide it into these four elements. So the first two on the left side are basically roadable, uh, that have both potential on the land and the air. It's basically the propulsion system that differentiated. We're very proud to have Palvi on our panel today that represent the rollable gyrocopter section. And on the other side, you basically have the passenger drone and hover bikes, which are extensions of concepts that we have already seen in one way or the other and fall into an essential classifications for flying car. What makes it more interesting? Well, it's the converging industries that are coming together. There are a number of industries that's coming over here, and that's what's exciting in this space. So you put as many tech uh, developments as you want. Flying cars may arrive much faster than the regulators are ready to prepare regulations for them. Remember, it took the Federal Aviation Administration more than a decade to develop rules for drones, long after they were in common use. And it could be the same with flying cars. But in reality, that's what Frost and Sullivan's opinion is. It shouldn't be. Agencies should seriously consider crafting rules for these new vehicles which could become an economic smart plug for whatever countries that adopt them. So these industries need to play a catalyst. These players that bring about these equations that we show in this particular, need to, uh, in this particular side need to be the ones that need to play the role of the catalyst. They should be spurring the manufacturers to build the aircraft, you know, regulators like the FAA uh, to bring in the regulations, and then the city which we view as a customer to actually wave into things. You know, we talk about people like Amazon, they talk about drone highways, that is designated areas to fly. Not over houses, but over likely populated areas that really minimize the risk. So we could have designated levels of drone highway, you know, depending upon the weed, the vehicle speed, and the sophistication, which are today's distinction that the OEMs are offering in this space. And to really talk about these distinctions, what kind of products that they have, what are the OEMs plan, I'm very excited and extremely pleased to hand it over to the author of the study, Joe Praveen, uh, who is also an analyst and a very, very close present. So, Joe, the stage is yours. Thank you, Vinny. Moving on to the next slide, uh, this is a snapshot of current participants in the flying cars market. So, if you look at the history of flying cars, you usually see one or two startups uh, trying to build a flying car driven by their own passion and vision to build a flying car. Now, for the first time ever, we are witnessing a paradigm shift where established companies from various sectors are coming into the flying car market and working towards building an urban air mobility vehicle for the future. For example, you have Airbus, from the aviation space working on a couple of concepts and just last week they tested their flying car named Vahana. Uber from the ride hailing space has been an active participant in the flying car space 
and they envision to test air taxi services in cities like Los Angeles and Dubai by the year 2020. From the technology space, as Benny mentioned, we have Google's co-founder Larry Page who has invested in a flying car startup called Kitty Hawk. Apart from this, we also see drone companies like Ihang and flying car specialists like Terrafugia, Pal-V and Aeromobile make rapid progress in the past year. However, probably the most interesting scene uh, is being witnessed in the automotive space. In the past six months, we have seen humongous investments coming into the flying cars market from the automotive industry. It all started, as Benny mentioned, with Geely acquiring a flying car company, Terrafugia, last year. Daimler followed suit and invested in the German flying car company called Volocopter. And not to be left behind, Toyota invested in a Japanese flying car company called Escartivator. And just last week, they invested in an air taxi company called this Joby Aviation. So with such established companies coming into this flying car space, we are witnessing for the first time a flying car's market taking shape and becoming organized. Moving on to the next slide. So this is a quick snapshot of select flying car companies and their key vehicle models. The key aspect to look at here is when these flying cars companies have, connect, have conducted their first successful flight test. As you can see, most of these companies have conducted their first test in the past five years, which is indicative of the kind of momentum that this space has been witnessing in the recent past. These companies are also focusing on getting their vehicles certified by various road and aviation regulatory bodies to add that element of credibility to their vehicles. So they are really serious about the vehicles that they are building. They want to ultimately commercialize them and they are working towards that. And they are also attracting investors, as Benny mentioned, from across spectrum, from venture capitalists, government bodies, private companies, as well as getting crowdfunded. Moving on to the next slide. In this slide, we dive deeper into the technical specifications of some of the vehicles. As seen in the segmentation slide presented by Benny, when we say flying cars, we are referring to a variety of urban air mobility vehicles of the future. A key specification to look at here is the range. As it stands now, gasoline-operated vehicles seem to have a higher range as opposed to electric flying cars. However, as the battery technology improves, electric flying cars will also improve their range going forward. Similarly, the cruise speed and the useful load also seem to be better in gasoline-driven flying cars as of today. From, now from our analysis, we can say with a certain degree of confidence that different flying cars will find different applications in the future. Some will be better suited for air ambulance services, while others will be good as air taxis. While some others could also be specific recreational vehicles. So talking about the future, who better to talk about it than the CEO of Palvi himself? Robert, over to you. Yeah, thank you, Joe. <coughs> um, uh, I'm a bit crippled because I cannot see the slides changing, but I'll help uh, presenting. So Palvi uh, is one of the pioneers in this business, and when we started, we were planning as a flying car company, now we find ourselves in the world of changing the future of mobility, which is a thrilling time to be in. So if you take the next slide, there you see a girl uh, waving at the air, and that's actually what many people would like to do, flying. But until now, private flying has been very impractical, uh, because you start from a place where you don't want to leave, and you end up at a place where you won't, don't want to be. So now technology has advanced and solutions are coming into the market in different stages in time, all called flying cars, but actually having quite different traits, like Joe was saying. So if you look to the next slide, you actually see what we consider the two basic market segments in personal flying mobility. One is the urban uh, mobility, where people 
fly short ranges and the intercity mobility or rural mobility where our car, our first product is targeted. So you see quite different market segments, one going from 34 to 34 short range or the flying cars which drive, which go longer range and actually don't fly in the city but fly to cities and between cities. If you take the next slide, you see the roadmap of PELV bringing products for the various markets over time once technologies mature. The first product we do is the PELV Liberty, which we actually present the first production model in Geneva uh, in a couple of weeks' time, and the first keys will be handed to customers next year. Well, the air taxi market is coming, which will be maturing in 2025 to 2028, where we'll have another product. And further on, uh, autonomy will kick in, and then the market will go through a big surge again. So that's why big companies are looking at this market, and also we are in contact with a number of them. If you take the next slide, you see the challenges to build a real flying car. So to build a real flying car, you have this problem that aviation requires big things, while on the road you need compactness. Uh, a big challenge why many, many initiatives don't make it. Uh, our vehicle is four meters long, two meters wide, and a very compact vehicle on the road, while it's very safe in the air because the road is 10 meters once you're flying. The other Important thing is uh, certification. So uh, as far as I know, we are the only product targeting to uh, comply with existing certification, both road and air. Uh, and that's why we can be in the market next year, while if you require either additions to the certification or new certifications, these things take time. If you go to the next slide, then you see what was the basic breakthrough to build a real flying car. Uh, it's road stability. If you want to have a flying car, actually a driving airplane stable on the road, then you have the challenge of building a three-wheeler with a high center of gravity and make that stable on the road. There's a good reason why we don't make four-wheel airplanes already for 100 years. Uh, four-wheel airplanes are very hard very challenging for the pilot, uh, so that's why a three-wheel one is much better than a four-wheel one. On the other hand, on the road we want four wheels with a low center of gravity. So combining this in one vehicle required a tilting technology, and you see the vehicle below, we use the tilting technology of a other Dutch company called Carver. If you go to the next slide, then you see our product in flying mode. And in the flying mode, it's gyroplane. It's a proven way of flying, the safest and easiest way of flying there is, uh, because the rotor is not powered. The rotor is actually a parachute, uh, and there's a uh, propeller in the back powering it. So uh, once people start flying, flying a gyroplane is the easiest and safest way there is. And if you go to the next slide, then you see the vehicle in front of a garage, that's the way you will use it. You will drive it from home, going to the next slide, flying it to wherever you want to be. Then the next slide, you land it and drive into the city. And the next slide, you can park it anywhere. So it's real door-to-door -door mobility, having the options to fly and to drive, which is, of course, different from the uh, air taxi market. These are very distinct markets. And if you go to the next slide, we are existing, using the existing infrastructure, the existing small fields, the existing roads, so also infrastructure-wise, this first market doesn't have any barriers. Um, and there are many applications, as Joe was mentioning, so from taxi to military to air ambulance, uh, different sorts, and uh, you see some applications on the many application slides. Digging a bit into... Uh, some more, uh, the, the next slide. The paradigm shift is actually forced by some technology trends, one being lightweight materials, one being much more easy navigation, going to full autonomous. There's also the trend from fossil fuels to hybrid to electric propulsion, and electric propulsion allows for different forms of vertical takeoff. So these are the basic trends which 
changed traditional flying from 100 years now to new possibilities, which will a big paradigm shift in the way we move in the next decades. If you go to the next slide, then you see one of the basic challenges of electric flying. Um, it's, it's a bit complicated as it looks, but if you look to the pictures, you see a chicken or a bird. And actually, the chicken way of flying is very heavy and then uh, with small wings, and that's not very effective. Uh, while if you want to be fast and far, you need to be light and have very big surface areas. And that has to do with the basic rule you see above. And that's also the explanation why still electric flying with heavy batteries and small surface areas does give you only a small range and is only valid for urban mobility for you have to start maybe in five or ten years' time. <clears throat> the other things to consider in the flying market and how fast these things will evolve have to do with new infrastructure. That's two sides. One is physical infrastructure, which needs to be developed. The other one is, of course, traffic management infrastructure. So our first product, the Bellevue Liberty, starts with using existing rules, existing infrastructure, existing traffic management systems, but the red products you see we have in the works, of course, grow with the market as it continues. If you go to the next slide, then there's a big paradigm shift we all have to master in terms of emergency survival. Um, traditional airplanes can, controlled by the pilot, come down uh, with, because they have wings or they have rotors. But these new concepts, they have uh, uh, safety due to redundancy. But uh, creating software redundancy and multi-redundancy is a big, big challenge, not only for the technology but also for the certification side. Um, so we have to come to solutions which uh, give enough safety for urban areas. And that's not a full plane parachute. That's why I thought I put the next picture, which shows you two planes we have landed by full plane parachutes. This is actually what is a successful landing with a full plane parachute. Uh, but that's not a good possibility for urban safety. So there's quite some challenges to master there. Uh, what you want is uh, pilot-controlled emergency landings, especially in urban environments. So there's still a lot of development which we need to go through to come to real urban taxis there, which we are also looking at based on rotor technology, which gives more the above uh, emergency landings. If you go to the next slide, then Joe was mentioning already sound. Sound has two sides, noise. One is uh, how loud is it, but also the pitch. And the smaller the propellers and the rotors which are being used, the higher the pitch and the more annoying they get. So there are some challenges we have to master. And then the next slide is, of course, uh, how is the regulatory framework. So. We all in the industry have to deal with these elements uh, which will lead to a certain roadmap to develop from intercity mobility where our first product is up to air taxis and then to full autonomous flying and driving in probably 10 or 20 years time. So if you go to the last slide then you see an overview of how we think the market will develop in time and in concepts and how we will uh, follow this market in our developments. So if you go to the last slide, that's uh, how did we create our vehicle, starting from ideation in 2000, then proof of concept development, which we proved in 2012, where we have proven with test flight and drive flight programs that this product can be built within existing regulations. And we are proud to launch our first production model in a couple of weeks' time. Um, just to give an overview, we have a team of about 70 people, and uh, uh, yeah, we just started production in the facilities you see. Next slide. Enjoy the drive. Enjoy the flight. Thank you. Thank you, Robert. That was definitely uh, insightful and enlightening for us. Uh, moving on to the next slide. Uh, 
this is a snapshot of the vehicles which are poised to be launched in the next few years uh, along with their prices. Uh, some of these vehicles are still in development and the final prices could change in the future. Uh, however, from uh, the initial trends we can observe that hovercrafts such as AeroFX, AeroX will be the most economical hitting just about $100,000 with limited applications. Uh, this is likely to be followed by passenger drones like the Hang 184, followed by roadable aircraft such as Terrafugia and Pal V. Uh, there are many more companies such as um, Airbus, Cormorant, Carplane and Lilium Aviation uh, which could launch flying cars in the next five years. However, we have not captured them in this slide as they have not announced their tentative prices yet. Moving on to the next slide. Now when we think of flying cars, we imagine the activity to be restricted to certain parts of the globe. However, this slide shows that flying cars are slowly becoming a global phenomenon. While there is a greater concentration of companies in the US, we see that flying cars are being built by companies uh, in countries like Slovakia, Israel, China, Russia, Japan, Netherlands and so on. So all these companies are actively engaged in building a full-scale functional flying car model. Moving on to the next slide. Now a future of flying cars offers unlimited potential and a whole host of possible application areas. Uh, we have segmented the application areas into two broad categories based on service business model and profit business model. When it comes to service business model, we see flying cars being applied uh, in military, used as air ambulances, uh, in police patrol for disaster response and surveillance, so on and so forth. When it comes to profit business models, we definitely see them being used as air taxis in the next decade or so. Uh, we also see uh, emergence of competitive flying car races, uh, they being used for recreational purposes, uh, application in agriculture and definitely personal mobility in the distant future. Uh, through these applications, we can in turn give rise to business services and revenue streams um, that we can think of such as flying car corporate leasing, air taxi pay per ride, aerial security as a service. Uh, hospital to hospital biological sample transport. So yes, exciting times ahead in the space. Uh, however, there are quite a lot of challenges as um, Robert mentioned, which need to be overcome before these applications can be realized. So in the next slide, some of the key challenges are listed. Rules and regulations uh, are a big hindrance at the moment. Uh, as uh, Benny mentioned, regulations for commercial applications of drones are just now being framed in some advanced countries and uh, regulations for flying cars will take quite some time to come into effect. Takeoff and landing is, uh, is a key concern as well, especially in urban areas you need supporting infrastructure. Safety is of utmost importance in case of mid-air emergencies. Uh, fuel range, as um, Robert mentioned, if you need to have meaningful commercial applications, then it's highly imperative that you have sufficient range in your vehicle. Uh, air traffic control is another area. Once you have substantial flying car traffic uh, in the air, uh, who would manage uh, the traffic? So that question has to be addressed as well. Uh, hacking, uh, so in the distant future, when you talk of autonomous uh, flying cars, hacking is a real threat which needs to be addressed as well. A noise, um, as Robert just mentioned, when uh, when flying cars are being operated in in centers of population, it becomes highly imperative to stick to optimal noise levels. So to understand more about how more about the challenges and how they can be addressed, I pass the baton once again back to Benny Daniel. Benny, over to you. Thank you so much, Joe and uh, I hope the audience has found it uh, very enlightening so far. To be honest, the remaining sections that I've had, you know, Robert very much uh, kind of summarized uh, very well uh, about these challenges. 
but if you talk if you talk about it from a technology point of view, right? The technology that is required for flying cars, in a lot of ways, it's it's finally here. You know, whether it's whether it's creating a safe and effective vertical takeoff and landing, or you know how that is being solved through innovative aircraft designs, or the recent progress uh, that is happening in the field in autonomous uh, electric motors, both on the aerial and on the ground level. You know, it's enabling these visionary future kind of mobility projects uh, really come into life, especially in, in cities and in certain specific rural areas. And this triggers a significant amount of interest uh, from the industry and the investors. There are still barriers. Uh, so, for example, the largest and the most challenging is the integration of flying cars into the public airspace. This is a very complex program in terms of regulation. Should flying cars be remotely controlled by human operators or should it be allowed to operate autonomously? If you look at it from the infrastructure point of view, how do you track it? How do you control this mirror of, unflying, of flying vehicles and how to protect this, like uh, Joe rightly mentioned, against cyber physical assets and security issues? So really here the technology is how to coordinate thousands of flight paths in real time and provide collision management solutions at the same time. And that's what this slide is trying to say. The real answer is not in the individuality, but it's in the convergence. Both government agencies, large businesses, they're working on this, right? Especially like Joe mentioned, uh, where the largest number of activities are happening in the U.S. This is driven by NASA with support from Google, Intel, Verizon, just to name a few partners, you know. Such systems, if you see, apart from the U.S., are far from implementation anywhere else in the world. So it's not just the technology, but the convergence of these different uh, agencies that need to come together to really foster this uh, is the key thing that needs to be handled. And also comes with is, is infrastructure. Do you create separate runways, or do you use existing uh, infrastructures like heli heli uh, helipads or terraces? What's very interesting, and we see this in our city tracker study, is how cities are re-envisioning themselves, rebuilding themselves, or how new cities uh, are coming into the mold that will create infrastructure on its own. So really what the slide shows is the ease of implementation of this, and the truth could be anywhere between uh, the lower half of the points that is raised in this slide. If you move on to the next slide, again, key technologies, as I mentioned before, and as Robert also mentioned, there are specific correlations that you can see where the interests are specifically happening in the automotive world as well. So if you look at the top right-hand side of this, AI, lightweight materials. Lightweighting as a technology has always been uh, you know, in the core of vehicle manufacturers, especially as they try to comply to the CO2. AI is becoming a new ground. You can see how partnerships are forged. So the areas, which is very interestingly, and you can, you can see the reason behind why certain vehicle manufacturers are taking stake or investing completely in these startups, is to look at those hot spots where currently they don't have the technology know-how. And this provides a very interesting breeding space about how these markets will evolve. Our belief is the market uh, is likely to be viable in the next 10 to 12 years, but how these partnerships take off uh, could prove very, very interesting as well. So the question we ask is, by the time this market becomes, as, as Palvi, uh, CEO Robert mentioned, he sees different facets of this, including one which is the flying car. Very, very interesting how to see is how the big players, like even Airbus, uh, are trying to do this and, and believe that they should have a production-ready kind of technology by 2021, really to cater and see. Uh, you know, this market as we shed new business models, new business proposition move inside. Even Uber, uh, for all its controversies that has been recently through, uh, their idea to have and operate in this space, even in the 2025, 2035, could push uh, the market forward over here as well. So if you see, uh, you know, how we see the evolution and the movement, uh, really to summarize it is, the focus on commercializations come initially from applications such as security and recreation. That is where the initial traction will be. But some first application of air taxis will evolve an emergence of new business models. But in the, f in the future, 
these applications could become much more disruptive and replace some existing transport solutions. But today it's in the very, very nascent stage and how these partnerships that Joe, that Robert mentioned during his presentation will be the key uh, to see how it will grow beyond just a new technology to be one that is sustainable and at the same time safe. And this is where I'm excited now to put you in touch with uh, two people, uh, Mike Smith and Dan uh, from Nextcraft to, to present their views about what their solutions are and where they see the applications likely to be in the future. To over to you. Uh. Yes, thank you very much. And uh, thank you to Frost and Sullivan for hosting today's webinar. Uh, we're very pleased to be uh, invited to join you all. Um, and uh, as newcomers to the industry, we're also very pleased to be associated with uh, some of the more successful and uh, pioneering companies. Thank you so much, Mike. Uh, are you there? It looks like we might have lost the people from New Xcraft. Might be a technical error. Anna. Uh, are you able to view if they're still online? Uh, let's see here. Hello, Mike. We we seem to have lost them. Um, Hello. I, I think Hello, I'm Mike. back. Okay, Mike. Hi. Sorry about that, everybody. Sorry okay. about that. For some reason, the uh, the connection froze up on me there. Um, so uh, what we uh, what we have, and again, thank you for everyone for the invitation. We're very pleased to be a part of the webinar today. Um, our concept craft is a, an electric, uh, effectively piloted craft. We are um, going to be delivering the craft under the uh, the light sport category, uh, which means that we have a, a maximum takeoff weight with our emergency parachute of around 470 kilograms. Um, and we are going for a very specific market. Uh, initially, it is the, uh, the, the very, very high-end luxury space where we've had a lot of interest from uh, super yacht, big uh, mega yacht manufacturers um, to have our craft be associated with some of the, uh, the larger build uh, yacht projects for the next four to five years delivery. Um, so what this has done for us is allow us to, uh, to reach a fairly small market uh, but a very unique group of people who uh, see the value in something that is um, a little bit more luxurious and a little bit more uh, able to deliver the sort of compatibility with their lifestyle that they would be used to. Um, it is designed as a short-range vehicle um, initially until the battery density increases. But what we're hoping to do is uh, follow the evolution of uh, battery storage very closely and then up obviously upgrade our battery technology year on year to uh, improve range and, and endurance. Uh, if we could go to the next slide. Um, this is a, a visionary concept of the Neo X craft, um, sort of transitioning between the outer edges of cities. Uh, in the discussions we've had with civil authorities, it's been pretty clear that there's a, a lot of work to do by everybody in the industry, not just us. Um, and there's a lot to prove in terms of how uh, they can become um, familiar and uh, uh, feel very confident that our craft will be, will be safe and will be able to operate within close proximity to, to pe people and to buildings. Um, at the moment, because we uh, are still in the uh, design and prototyping stage, uh, we haven't had the opportunity to perform full-size flights, but um, we're expecting to be able to demonstrate that towards the end of this year. Uh, if we could go to the next slide. So uh, this is another version of what we see as our, our space, uh, and that is a luxury craft uh, to be used for ple pleasure primarily and then for, uh, for journeys that would, would mostly mean getting to an airport or to a light airfield, uh, catching a, a civilian form of transport, 
um, or flying from, uh, you know, a, a, an apartment near to London to a country home or uh, in between work and, um, you know, a, a place of residence. That That is what we expect to be the primary purpose for the vehicle, um, as well as allowing access to parts of the the world and, uh, you know, certainly the UK in the beginning where you wouldn't normally be able to land uh, even a helicopter, you know, some of the most scenic but also inaccessible places. Uh, if we go to the uh, the next slide. Um, again, another part of our vision on the uh, the early adoption of the, uh, the aircraft uh, is the ability for uh, wealthy people to be able to own something that they can uh, use in compatibility with their existing luxury life uh, to be able to take off from uh, from a mega yacht to be able to land uh, very close to a beach in uh, in shallow water our craft is very buoyant um, and to sort of be able to exit the craft keep it as a uh, a form of transport and then um, you know be able to do some scuba diving some snorkeling relax on the beach and then uh, get back into the aircraft and fly back onto their their yacht or uh, back to their, their uh, permanent place of residence nearby. If we could go to the next slide. Um, that's just a summary and uh, just some graphical representation of where we think our craft are going to be fitting in. Uh, we then have the, uh, the technical specifications. What we're aiming for is a uh, maximum takeoff weight of 470 kilos, uh, which allows us to certify and operate within the, uh, the light sport category. Um, we, uh, we do have a unique version of a parachute in that it's, uh, it's steerable by the pilot, uh, which means that you have control in an emergency descent. Uh, unlike a lot of aircraft, in, including some of the fixed wings that have um, emergency parachutes, once they deploy that parachute, they don't have a lot of control as to where they're going to end up. Um, and we think that's very essential that you're actually able to, in an emergency, not get into a worse situation by, say, landing on a, on a public road or flying straight into a building or something like that. Um, we're, uh, we're intending the craft to be around the uh, 290 kilometer an hour forward speed type uh, category and uh, that is a little bit towards the uh, the top end we think of where the uh, the human mobility vehicles are going to be in terms of speed um, but uh, we we think that's essential for uh, the full usefulness and the full useful life of uh, a transport um, you know interface is to have that sort of a high speed um, you'll be able to charge our craft in much the same way that you do uh, an electric vehicle, uh, and we have a compatibility with most modern uh, ground-based vehicle charging stations. Uh, we also can accept power in both AC and DC to charge the vehicle. Um, there's another graphic there. Uh, this is one of our uh, very early renders. Things have changed a little bit um, on the craft, but what you're seeing is obviously... Um, a center fuselage and then the uh, lifting system being uh, electric motors and uh, propellers on the outside. It's quite a well-proven design. Um, some people say, well, we've seen that, uh, that, that sort of arrangement in the drone industry. It's quite true. It's a very reliable, very stable format. Um, and that is what we're going to be using uh, for our initial version. Okay, if we go to the next slide. Uh, that's just a uh, side-on view, another uh, computer render of what the craft would look like. Uh, the uh, front doors would open and uh, the pilot and the passenger would get in on the front of the craft. Um, in terms of safety, we have a redundant autopilot. Uh, we have a sense and avoid system. We have uh, an intelligent integrated parachute that is steerable. Uh, we also have a, a low altitude crash prevention system which uses a combination uh, of uh, infrared laser range finding and uh, a vision based system. 
Uh, we're also able to uh, monitor the craft remotely to a degree. And uh, we have very high-grade uh, aviation-specified avionics within the craft uh, to uh, serve as the primary mechanism uh, for flight control. Okay, if we can go to the next slide. I think this is where I take over, uh, Mike. But absolutely interesting. Uh, you know, majority of the things that you mentioned is, is a new dimension, the luxury market, uh, an untapped market again, and hopefully the design aesthetics that you talked about uh, does come into realization. And Frost and Sullivan will get the first chance uh, to have the test flight in it. Uh, all the best for this, Mike, and your team, and we sincerely hope the best for you. Thank you. Thank you very Thank you much. Guys. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you so much for being part of our panel today. And really to summarize, before we give it to the audience to ask any questions, take full advantage of the two panelists that we have, just a quick summary is right in front of you. We talked about regulations where both Robert and Mike rightly mentioned it's not on just on them. There's a significant amount of activities that need to be done by the regulators and all the, and all the other bodies. And it's, it's quite point to see uh, how all of them are converging, uh, if not at a fast pace, definitely uh, at a rate that, that can be deemed acceptable. If you can see the applications Joe mentioned about it, uh, we see initially happening in the recreation field, in the military field, and we see from Neo Xcraft their mindset and vision about how this can initially even go uh, into the private consumer world, especially in the high-end luxury. Joe talked about in his introduction about the number of tests that have happened, and it shows really the seriousness of this market uh, with the tests starting as back as five years ago. There are challenges, as we rightly mentioned, but with the passage of time, most likely these are to be overcome. But what's interesting is to see the space that it today uh, is operated by, which is essentially startups. Uh, we expect big bodies, especially uh, in the aerospace industries and the automotive industry, to participate in this movement. So, so, so trends like, for example, what Volvo is doing or what Toyota is doing or even big participants like Airbus is a positive momentum uh, that we believe will take this market forward. Uh, with that, we come to the end of the presentation, and I really hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed presenting to you. So I don't know if there's any questions that we can direct to both uh, to uh, Joe, uh, to Mike, and to Robert. Uh, please, can we have them now? But over to you, Anna. Thank you very much. Yes, uh, Benny. We have a first question here for Robert. Robert, how do you see the regulatory environment for flying cars at the moment, and how do you see it evolving in the future? Well, <clears throat> I think for, uh, especially for flying cars, the challenge uh, next to technology is definitely the whole regulatory environment. So that's from the start for our first product, we have focused on complying with existing regulations, both road and air. So for us, there's no hurdle at all. Um, developing new regulations in practice, normally in aviation takes 10 to 20 years. Um, but there's quite some momentum now. So this 10 to 20 years will be reduced. Uh, how far? It depends on the, the motivation of regulators. <laughs> uh, and we will see how that happens. Uh, so I hope this will change dramatically because 10 to 20 years like it used to be is not acceptable. Whether this will be a couple of years is probably a sort of uh, yeah, not, not very likely. <laughs> So I would expect regulations to come in place within, say, the next 10 years for new things. Thank you, uh, Robert. Now, this next question is for Mike. Mike, do you see more collaboration between automotive OEMs and electric flying car companies to improve the efficiencies of batteries, considering automotive OEMs are also looking at increasing the range of their electric cars? Um, that's a very good question. 
question, and uh, and thank you um, for uh, whoever put that to us. Um, we uh, we've entered into a partnership, which you may have seen on uh, our social media over the last week or so, with a a leading graphene manufacturer in the UK called uh, Graphitine. And what we started to do is investigate in the early stages of how. Uh, graphene as a complementary um, uh, addition to existing battery technology can boost uh, the power density while reducing the weight and we've had some very very interesting results from from lab tests so um, I would say the uh, the improvement um, could come in two ways it could come from the the EV ground market uh, upwards to the electrical air platform air transport market or it could come the other way it could be that the greatest demand for um, light and high energy dense battery cells is in the air it's much more than an, an advantage to have lighter more powerful cells in the air and it could start there it could be a breakthrough for air transport and then evolve back into ground vehicles thank you Mike if you look at most, because we also spend quite some research in battery and alternative ways of propulsion, uh, if you look at the car drivers, then it's much more getting materials out which are uh, only produced in China, so much of the research is going on to change. So the drivers in the ground EV industry is completely different from the air. So I, I would guess that the lighter batteries will be pushed more by the air vehicles than by the ground vehicle technology. Yes, I would agree. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, uh, Robert. Uh, here's a question for Palvi for uh, Robert here. How much power is required to keep the vehicle in the air at cruise speed, and what is that cruise speed? Well, cruise speed is around 150 kilometers per hour. Uh, the power required at that level is around 140 uh, horsepowers. Uh, we have 200 horsepowers uh, on board, but that's, of course, for taking off. Thank you, Robert. And uh, our next question here, uh, this is, a, you know, uh, whoever wants to jump in or, or everybody jump in, that's, that's fine, one at a time here. How do you foresee the aftermarket for flying cars as it is today for wheeled cars or will it suffer a complete revolution? Well, the first discussion is, of course, do you see it as an owner's market or do you see it as a shared market and a retailing market? In the owner's market, there will be an aftermarket, but in aviation, the regulations are pretty stiff. So to stay legal, um, there's probably quite a number of restrictions for the aftermarket. So I would expect for those reasons the aftermarket not being very big in future, partly because it's going to sharing, which in general will not lead to a big aftermarket, uh, partly because the regulations will enforce uh, a very regulatory system on the aftermarket, which is different in cars. Mike, any thoughts from your side on that question about aftermarket, especially as you, your vision is to cater to the luxury side of things? Um, I think for us it's, it's a little bit biased and probably wouldn't, wouldn't be fair for us to answer this question as much. Um, but what we see and what we've been prompted by uh, the uh, that sort of small amount of buyers that we have at the moment is that they would like to uh, purchase the craft, um, utilize it, and then they would like to keep it in their in their museum. They have other vehicles, uh, a lot of ground vehicles, they have aircraft, and we haven't heard any of them talking about wanting to uh, resell the craft or release it. They seem to want to rather more like, you know, keep it on display more than anything else. And any any thoughts about, for example, the aftermarket parts, especially when it comes to parts and services? Uh, do you think that will also be a market to look into, or like uh, what Robert mentioned, the regulations could be quite stiff, um, meaning the aftermarket um, I, may not be as buoyant? 
Um, I think I'd fully agree with Robert, and uh, I think that's a very, very wise and accurate statement to make. Um, from our point of view, it's probably more likely that we would not uh, encourage an aftermarket, uh, and certainly not a parts market, is that we would want to have a very robust servicing system um, that would keep all of our craft fully up to date with new parts, um, and we wouldn't see that uh, any, any other system would allow us to uh, to gain the uh, the notoriety for uh, for the ultra safe luxury category. Thank you for that, uh, Mike. Uh, Joe, any 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 points from your side? Yes, Benny. Uh, my question to you, Mike and Robert, is about uh, commercial air taxi operations. So we uh, we see a lot of buzz around uh, commercial air taxi operations taking off, especially uh, from Uber and the Dubai government. Um, uh, what is your take on commercial air taxi uh, operations and when they can take uh, take off? So we have our view. We we're saying some somewhere close to 2030, 2035, but there are a lot of optimistic noises out there in the market. So we would love to hear your thoughts as well. Yeah, yep, great. Robert, sorry. Uh, sorry, sorry, Robert, go ahead. Okay. No, you, you go ahead. Feel free. Yeah, yeah so um, we are in uh, pretty uh, quite some intense contacts with the Dubai government, so you're pretty well aware what they are doing. Uh, also, they expect real commercial developments on air taxis uh, in the same time frame uh, as you are mentioning, somewhere 2020, 25, 28, 20, 23. 30, and then it will still be piloted. So there's also this misunderstanding that from the start, uh, a lot of those drones will be non-piloted. Uh, if you look to the white paper of Uber and the discussions also Mark Moore from Uber publishes, the expectation is that first, for the first five years, things will be piloted until we have created enough evidence and data that the pilot can be left out. Uh, and uh, that means that there will be piloted operations somewhere starting in 2025, 28, uh, unpiloted somewhere in 2030. And to take the pilot out is very important to make the cost effective enough. So luxury taxi services with flying cars will start sooner than you think with Pelvis. <laughs> but the short-range VTOL air taxi world will start somewhere in the time frame 2025-28 and really expanding in the 2030-35 time range. Excellent. Mike? Mike, your thoughts on that? Um, I, I would I would be a little bit slightly more um, bolder on the timeline, uh, simply because there are a couple of companies who uh, have done quite well recently in Dubai, um, and I think that will continue. I think Pell V is going to do very very well in the region, and uh, their craft and the evolution of it really suits the region very very well, and. Um, I think it's demand-led. Whenever you have the demand uh, exceptionally higher than the supply, um, the supply naturally tries to keep up. And uh, what we have with Dubai and uh, what we're getting as feedback from the region is that they are very, very eager uh, in any number of ways, including financially, to support the, the fastest evolutionary pathway possible um, to the electrification of the skies, as they call it, or uh, the air taxis or air transport systems of the skies, because that's where most of the space is. Um, you know, we don't have any more roadways, and especially in cities where there's already been a lot spent on development. Um, the only really most practical way is to go up and, and to, in, to introduce transport that occupies the least busy space, and that's in the skies. Thank you, Mike, for your thoughts. Uh, Benny, uh, over to you. I think I know. I think we. I think this might be it in terms of questions, unless we have any last ones from the audience. No, that actually would be it at this time. So um, I would like to go ahead and um, conclude today's webinar. Once again, we'd like to thank uh, Palvi, uh, Robert, Palvi International, also uh, Neocraft, Mike Smith, 
and also um, Benny Daniel and also uh, Joe Praveen for joining us today. Uh, if there's any additional questions or feedback, feel free to contact Joe. Uh, his contact details are provided on your screen at this time as well as Benny. Uh, they'll be able to address any, any questions or if you want to meet one-on-one, -on -one, they'll give you some more in information. Uh, once again, we'd like to thank everyone for joining us today and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you.